that's when I really started getting into cryptocurrency and blockchain. So this was back in 2017. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the accounting careers podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this program. Well, today we have a guest that's a subject matter expert in the cryptocurrency accounting space. That's a specialty that we've only briefly touched on before. So this was a very exciting and frankly educational episode to record. Joey Ryan, the CFO and co-founder of Gilded, is joining us for the program. Joey started his career in public accounting and even expedited his process to becoming a CPA. You'll have to make sure you don't miss that part. It's a very interesting part of the story. But as he continued to keep himself up to date on current issues in the accounting profession, he found himself reading more and more about cryptocurrency and blockchain. It wasn't long until he decided to go to a meetup for crypto enthusiasts, and that's where he met the people that he would later co-found Gilded with. Gilded is a company that builds accounting solutions for other companies that use cryptocurrency to transact business. I really did get an extra education on this episode. Joey's definitely a subject matter expert, and he was very generous with his explanations of some of the opportunities in the crypto world. You're absolutely going to love this episode. If you do love and learn something from this episode, please let people know by sharing it out on social media. We always appreciate that. And I know I mentioned this a lot, but I really enjoy getting comments about the show as well directly sent to me. So if there's any thoughts you have about the show overall or this episode, please message me directly as well. I always love getting those comments. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. You're really going to love this episode. Here's Joey Ryan of Gilded. Well, hey, Joey, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Well, for the audience, I saw some postings through Related Connections Online that got me curious about today's guest. I always like it when we have someone on the show that started in accounting and then found something that really piques their interest, and then they built their career based on that. Joey Ryan is on the show with us today, and he is the CFO and co-founder of Gilded a company working in the accounting space with cryptocurrency. We've only had one other guest so far talk about crypto on the show, I believe. So this is going to be an important episode. And of course, we're going to walk through Joey's earlier career as well, because I'm sure there are some nuggets of wisdom in that story also. Well, Joey, I really do want to get to what Gilded is doing, but it's important that the audience you know, understands how your career got started as well. So let's start there. What led you to decide to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for having me on, Mark. And I'm excited to be here and kind of share my story to everybody. So it's actually not that that much of a story. So back in high school, if we're going to go back that far, determining what I was going to do in college or where I was going to go to college and what I was going to do at the time, my dad asked me, or so let's just say I didn't really have a strong suit in any particular subject, kind of just an A-B student in middle school and high school. And I was an athlete. I like to play sports, primarily played baseball and some golf and stuff like that. So sports were kind of like my main interest, but going into college and 
determining kind of what I wanted to do as a career choice besides be a professional baseball player. My dad was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was being a whatever sophomore, junior in high school. I was like, I don't know. I want to just play baseball for the rest of my life. I can't do that. He's like, well, you can, but let's just say the off chance that you don't get that opportunity to do that since it's very hard to obviously be a professional baseball player. What else do you want to do? And I kind of had this like quizzical look on my face of like, I have no idea because my only interest at the time was sports. But I was like, well, and my dad had a, gotten his MBA and was kind of a business savvy guy. And he was like, well, my recommendation would be to go ahead and just do accounting and get an accounting degree. And I still remember kind of what the words that he said was an accounting degree, you can do pretty much anything in business. And someone else reiterated that to me kind of later on saying accounting is kind of the backbone of business, business and finance. If you understand accounting and the operational aspect of accounting from a business operations aspect, you can apply that across kind of many different, if you want to call it categories of a business. So once you understand accounting and how a business operates from an accounting perspective, then you can just apply that to business in general. So I kind of just took that and was like, okay, I guess I'll do accounting. And that's really how I picked kind of accounting as my major and just started going down that track. Okay. Okay. So did you go pretty much straight through school as an accounting major? Yes. When I chose my college, I went to Florida State. And yeah, just freshman year, said, all right, I'll pick accounting as my major. Did the general studies that you need for your first year or two, and then went the accounting track. And I do remember it being one of the first accounting classes I took. I believe it was called FAR 1, Financial Accounting Reporting 1. And it was probably the hardest class I'd taken to date at that point in time in college. And they called it a weed-out class, right? Meaning if you're wishy-washy about getting accounting, we're going to make this class super hard to kind of weed out the people that are really good at it or really want to do it versus the people that maybe don't really understand it or should maybe pursue a different major. So it's called a weed-out class. It definitely beat me down, <laughs> but it didn't weed me out. I survived through it. And then kind of from there, you take your other accounting, not just financial accounting, but you get into your tax accounting classes, corporate accounting, et cetera, audit classes, just kind of went down the path from there and got my undergrad in accounting. And then I did the master's of accounting from Florida State, which is a one-year program, three-semester program after your undergrad. So I got my master's in accounting and that fulfilled, obviously, the hour requirement. And from there, sat for the CPA exam. So I was lucky at the time, Florida was not allowing you to sit for the CPA exam without having a year, I believe it was a year of, if you want to say like outside professional experience outside of school, but you could apply to take the exam in a different state and then transfer your license over. So at the time, I believe I applied to take the exam in Georgia, which would allow you to sit for the CPA exam while you're still in school. So I ended up taking the first two parts of the CPA exam while I was finishing up my master's in accounting. And I guess to backtrack for a second, so if we're going to give the timeline on back in my master's and coming out what I was going to do. So in my master's program or when I graduated undergrad, going into master's was did the typical career fair and was able to get a few interviews with some of the big accounting firms, you know, EY and RSM ended up getting an offer from RSM to work in their 
Jacksonville, Florida office. So I'd already had a job kind of lined up to start after I finished my master's program and got an offer to work in audit as a staff one auditor coming out of school. So had that offer kind of in hand, which is obviously really nice. I knew all I had to do was basically pass classes and pass CPA exams. So I wanted to make sure that I started taking the CPA exam before I started working because I knew it would be tough for me to kind of juggle taking the exam while working at the same time and adjusting to kind of corporate life, a job as I'd really never had a corporate life job before. And while I was in that study mode in school, I figured it was a really good time to go ahead and knock out a couple parts of the exam. So took two parts of the exam as I was finishing up my master's degree. And I, at the time, slated it to take the hardest parts first. So took tax and FAR first, passed both of those before I finished school. And then right after school, I had about a month or a month and a half before I started working. So I took a third part, took audit in that time frame, and then ended up taking the last part, the business part, within a month or two, started working. And I was lucky enough that I passed all four parts the first time through. So all that studying backer paid off. A lot of late nights with Tim Garrity and popping those CDs in at the time and using the CDs at the time to run those self-study courses. So all the studying paid off. And again, I looked at it as, hey, I just want to do this once. So I might as well study my butt off to pass it the first time because I didn't want to go through that experience again a second time. So was, uh, like I said, lucky enough to pass them all, all four parts kind of within that first time through and, and then started my career. Okay. I'm curious. I just became familiar with or knowledgeable in the fact that a few years ago that people do that where they're in one state, but then they go take the exam somewhere else because of the different requirements and then transfer. Is that something that was common when the university you were going to or how did, how did you come so, up with that idea even? I didn't really know at the time. I was kind of just following, to be honest, I was following what a lot of people in my master's of accounting program were doing at the time, which was a lot of people would basically go to the career fair after they graduated undergrad and try to, at the time, this is actually good. We can dig into this a little bit. This was back in 2008. So you're looking 12 years ago. So at that time, Florida State really pushed you towards going towards a big firm, pushed you towards the big four or at the worst, the top 10 type firm. So they geared a lot of their classes towards basically just passing the CPA exam and trying to prepare you for what you'd experience your first year or two at kind of a big firm life. So with that kind of mindset, a lot of people in the Masters of Accounting program were basically already had offers or accepted offers to work at a big four firm or an RSM or a BDO or Grant Thornton or something like that. So a lot of students had already accepted offers to work there and knew that within a year they'd be starting working and all they really had to do was pass the CPA exam. So everybody kind of looked at it in the same mind frame I did, which was, hey, I want to pass the exam or take a couple parts before I start working while I'm still just basically in school and have the bandwidth to be able to do this. So a lot of people in the program were 
taking that approach. I want to say you were able to do it at the time you could apply in like Georgia or Colorado. Both of those states were allowing you to sit and take parts of the exam prior to having the one year of working experience. So a lot of people, I just kind of like basically followed what the program we're doing. They were like, oh yeah, we're doing it through Georgia. I was like, okay, cool. So just go ahead and like basically signed up to take the exam through Georgia, passed it, and then you just transfer the exam credits over to the state where you want to get licensed in. And I don't remember it being that difficult of a process when it was fairly smooth. So yeah, at the time, a lot of people that wanted to start taking the exam prior to working were doing that. Okay. Yeah, it's too bad there's not a state out there that lets you sit without the 150 hours. Or not sit, but I mean, like, not have to have 150 hours. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You can sit without the working experience or without the 150 hours threshold met. So as long as you were working towards the 150 hours, you could take those parts. And this was, again, back in 2008, 2009. Okay, okay. So... I guess moving on in your career, you were at RSM about six years. I guess what key experiences or benefits did you get from that time in your career? How do you feel that helped yeah, so, you move forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, I started out at RSM in the Jacksonville office, and that office at the time was basically a brand-new office, and it just opened up about a year or two before I started there. So it was a, actually it was a super small office for RSM. I believe we only had a total of like 11 people total, like tax audit and consulting in the office. RSM is super small. So it was a brand new office. And on the audit side, we only had one, two, three, four, five, five staff, a manager and a partner. So you're looking at seven, eight people. Yeah, I think we had 15 people because there were a couple people in tax. So we had basically seven audit people total, one partner, one manager, two seniors, three staff. And the partner basically had brought in all the clients at the time. So his goal was he had come from a big four previously, and he was growing this office in Jacksonville for RSM. So he was kind of just bringing in a mixed bag of industry clients just to get the office up and going. So we we're primarily dealing in, I call it the MWD, manufacturing wholesale distribution client types. We had some banking clients, et cetera. But, you know, there were 10, 12 clients, audit clients in the office that we basically had the same team would work on. So a few of my best friends right now actually worked in the office in Jacksonville with me for a year or two. And we just became friends because we all got put on the same audits because there were only five of us. That was interesting, A, both with kind of being around the same people and working with the same people, especially when you're starting out your career. It was good in that you really got to get a really good like personal learning experience from some of the seniors that were there and some of the higher, you know, the second or third year staff that were there because you worked with them all the time. So you got a good working relationship and really learned how to learn from these guys, these people that were there. And then, like I said, we had kind of a wide variety of clients at the time. So it was really good for us or for me, what I liked was being able to get that experience in different industries and not get pegged into a specific industry from the start, whether it was, oh, you're going to be just doing uh FI client or banking clients, and this person is just going to be doing insurance clients, and da 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 da. I never got pigeonholed into a specific industry to start, which I enjoyed because I wanted to be able to have the experience in those different industries 
either going forward in my accounting career or knowing if I wanted to get out of public accounting, it's like, hey, I did get experience in these multiple different types of industries. Okay. So take us from your time at RSM to Gilded and through the experiences there and then how you became interested in cryptocurrency and ended up being a co-founder there. Yeah, and I'll kind of wrap up my RSM. So I did work at the RSM office in Denver. So I actually moved out to Denver after a few years in Jacksonville, moved out to Denver and did get kind of a bigger office experience there. And again, was kind of working on a wide variety of clients. Denver probably had 50 to 75 people in the office at the time. So bigger office, bigger client base, et cetera. So kind of got that big office feel. And then after two years there, I moved to New Orleans where I currently live. And when I moved to New Orleans, I ended up working with EY when I moved down here. So I always kind of was wondering what it would be like to work at a big four. So I was kind of excited for the experience and would be able to say, okay, I did the big four thing or tried it out and see how it went. And, you know, if I really enjoyed it, if it was something I wanted to continue pursuing or at least be able to say, hey, I've been there and, and been in the trenches with big four people. So did get a audit position at EY and worked there for two years. And again, kind of working on a variety of industries, but definitely was able to see a lot of differences between kind of the EY and even the RSM, like audit methodologies. So a lot more, I'd say, red tape at the big four level at the time than RSM, which had kind of more of a mixed bag of methodology approaches that they would accept. So it's interesting to see those differences, but but really good to get that experience for working at EY for a few years. And then that's when when I left EY and I started working at another firm called Laporte, which is a satellite kind of a network firm of RSM. That's when I really started getting into cryptocurrency and blockchain. So this was back in 2017 when crypto kind of went on its run and it was up to 20,000 and everybody was buying Bitcoin and everybody was getting super excited and we we're all going to be Bitcoin billionaires and all that fun stuff. I got into it then, but I got into it really from the accounting perspective. So at the time when I was working at the port, I would get emails in my inbox from your the AICPA, from the Journal of Accountancy, the, the kind of daily or weekly newsletters that were all talking about blockchain and cryptocurrency and how accountants really needed to start learning about this new technology because this was going to basically transform accounting as we knew it. So I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. Like maybe I should read about this and understand like what's going on here. So I kind of went down the rabbit hole from that angle. And when I really like understood blockchain is basically like this open public ledger that's immutable. And you look at it from this accounting angle and you're like, wow, this is pretty crazy because anybody can transfer value to anybody across the world without an intermediary. And it applies directly to accounting. And it really solves this or introduces this concept of triple entry accounting and how that can be kind of incorporated into it. And it just really opened up this kind of like huge box of possibilities. And that's where I really, like I said, went down the rabbit hole and was like, okay, I either need to become kind of an industry expert in this area or within my firm, or I should start my own kind of crypto accounting, crypto payment company. So at the time, I was really reading up as much about kind of crypto and accounting and blockchain as I could, kind of soaking up all the information I could. 
And there actually was a kind of a meetup group here in New Orleans that would meet once a month and talk about Ethereum. So all the Ethereum nerds of the world in New Orleans would show up to the meeting. And when we first started meeting kind of before Ethereum and Bitcoin went crazy back then, you know, there'd be like three people there. And then as it went nuts up to 20,000 and Ethereum was going crazy too. I remember one meeting, there were like 40 people there and you're just like, well, where were all these people before? So anyways, <laughs> that's where I met my co-founders. Gil, who's our CEO, he is a software developer and he co-founded Squidoo, which was at the time kind of the, the medium or medium, people know medium.com where you can go on and read people's blogs. So it was kind of the first medium where bloggers would write in and then people would pay for a subscription. And he was the co-founder and CTO and he was in charge of building out kind of the billing and payment systems to pay people all across the world. And so when he kind of got introduced to cryptocurrency, he saw that as the new kind of payment rails to be able to send money or send value across country lines across the globe. So he saw the immediate benefit of crypto through that lens, through the kind of payment lens. I saw it through the accounting lens. So we said, hey, let's create this company that focuses really on accounting digital asset payments and, and kind of create this business application layer for businesses to start to be able to transact using cryptocurrency. So that's kind of how we started was we all met. CTO Ken was running the meetup and then Reina, who is our CXO and in charge of sales, she is a huge crypto person, crypto Bitcoin believers. So we all met there and we all saw the vision and that's kind of how we started. Wow. Okay. I'm familiar with Squidoo just because I'm a big Seth Godin fan and I know he was... Yeah, yes. He tells me all the time. He's like, yeah, it's that about two feet away from Seth Godin for six years. His Katrina story, if we were talking offline about Katrina earlier, Storms, Gil is from New Orleans, and when Katrina came, he evacuated, and literally he said he packed up a bag and moved to New York, and like two days later was basically knocking on Seth Godin's door for a job to work at Squidoo. Got hired like pretty much that day, and yeah, just worked with Seth at Squidoo for six years. Wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure there were some amazing moments. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good learning opportunity. For anyone listening to this that's not familiar with Seth Godin, you really need to look him up. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's pretty much the one of the top, if not the top, then top five kind of marketing gurus of, of our generation, right? Yes. Yes. So I feel odd asking this, but I had never heard the term you just used until our pre-show conversation, and I'm glad you brought it up here, triple entry accounting. Mm-hmm. You used that term a couple minutes ago, and I've never heard that, and I'm assuming some of our listeners haven't either. So what is that? <laughs> yeah, so it's not actually creating like a third line item in an entry. Because <laughs> people are like, how does it balance? This makes no sense. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is what it's called. Like, Deal with it. I get we're accountants. We all like it clean and need lists and like we all need the numbers to add up and all that just like go with the flow that it's called triple entry accounting so what it what it means is it's basically so so right now like you know financial records and and bookkeeping is siloed right i'm a business i do my accounting in quickbooks you know business a and business b does their own accounting in quickbooks and they send payments to each other or they're doing business with each other um, and then they reconcile their, their own books on their own, right? They're not, their systems don't talk to each other. What triple entry accounting does 
is it takes it from basically siloed to interoperable. So it's basically a layer on the blockchain that's able to record the um, techies call it metadata, we'll call it documentation trail information in a transaction. So if business A, you know, buys $5,000 worth of supplies from business B, you know, there's typically a PO, an invoice, you know, uh, some sort of payment record associated with that, that transaction. And each business has their own copy. Well, the blockchain acts as that basically data storage that copies and stores the information of that transaction. So invoice PO, any other kind of metadata associated with that transaction, audit trail information associated with that transaction, stores it on the blockchain and is able to facilitate that transaction to both parties so that basically the transaction can be updated real time in both parties' books. So if you think of how this could work going forward, if everybody is operating on the Ethereum blockchain and transacting in value on the Ethereum blockchain, you can have books and records that are interoperable, talking to each other, real-time updating to where you can say, oh, our quote-unquote cash balance is this because we just received payment uh, on this transaction, which just came through after this transaction occurred. So you can have kind of books and records that are continuously interoperable and quote unquote talking to each other through this kind of blockchain triple entry layer that is storing and documenting transaction information. I know it's like kind of a unique concept to grasp, but it actually started back, his name was Griggs, I can't remember his first name. Um, he was the first one I want to say in, the, well, Okay, there was a Japanese guy <laughs> before him, but he was the second one, I believe, in the 80s. I don't have my computer in front of me to look this up, but I think it was in the 80s where he had this concept of triple entry accounting and being able to kind of record a transaction without having to kind of reconcile books at the end of every month, that kind of thing. He came up with it in the 80s. Nobody really, it didn't really take off as an idea. Once the Bitcoin blockchain was born, that basically solved the problem of how do we create this triple entry layer. So once the the Bitcoin blockchain was born and kind of this whole theory of blockchain in back office and, and blockchain through transactions took off, that enabled this triple entry theory to come true. Okay. I can see how they came up with, with the, the name. I understand the at least uh, the name piece. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, yeah. Know. And you're not, you're not, again, you're not creating another line item that basically debalances the books. It's just creating another layer, immutable layer of transaction history, transaction documentation associated with the transaction that occurred. Okay. Gilded's been around for a couple of years now, which, I, you know, on one hand may not seem long to a lot of people, but in the startup world, Things change. Oh, we're like dinosaurs. Super quick. Exactly, exactly. So I guess, how has the company grown or, or changed in the last couple of years, and, and exactly what services are you guys providing now? We officially incorporated the company at the end of 2018 after we, like I said, we all met and had this idea. So we started the company at the end of 2018, and we actually applied to a lot of the big accelerator programs. So I'm sure, hopefully, a lot of people have heard of like Y Combinator. Uh, maybe Boost VC or Techstars. Those are kind of the large 
accelerator programs. And for those of you who aren't sure or never heard of what an accelerator is, it's basically a program that you pitch your startup idea to. And if they like you and think that your startup has potential to grow, they will basically fund you a certain amount of money. And then you come into their program and it's a three-month program. And I equate it to basically a three-month MBA entrepreneur crash course. So if you've never been an entrepreneur before, they basically give you all the tools and resources you need to succeed as an entrepreneur, as well as introduce you to their vast network of businesses and individuals, advisors, et cetera, all throughout their network. So we applied to kind of all the big accelerators through the United States, and we actually got accepted into the Techstars Blockchain Accelerator Program that ran in the winter of 2019 up in New York City. So we all went up to New York for three months. And like I said, it was basically like getting a crash course kind of MBA in entrepreneurship. So what we did through that program was we really dug deep into detail into the whole crypto accounting space, got connected to a lot of the firms that actually have their, their blockchain divisions are actually in New York. So we were able to talk to and meet with a lot of these firms and the, the heads of their blockchain division or a lot of the, the accountants that were working in the blockchain division and really discuss with them kind of, okay, you know, what are your pain points currently? What are you seeing with your clients currently that are dealing with, with crypto transactions? What are some of the big issues? You know, who are you talking to about this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we really kind of did a deep dive into understanding the if you want to call it the the landscape of crypto accounting, you know, at that point in time. One of the interesting things that we that came out of it was we noted that at that time, a lot of blockchain companies, so if you want to say companies that operate in the blockchain space, they were not actually paying their bills or operating, you know, in their back office operations using crypto. They were actually paying, you know, their vendors or paying their employees in traditional US currency, which was interesting because a lot of these companies they promote cryptocurrency and blockchain and, and you know all for the adoption of this new kind of digital currency, yet they themselves were still using kind of the traditional payment rails. So I'd say like, you know, sixty to seventy percent of the companies that we talked to in the space we're still using kind of the traditional payment methods, which we found pretty interesting at the time. And then we realized it was obviously because the kind of business application layer for utilizing kind of blockchain and digital currency payments hadn't been built out enough yet to where it was usable. You know, we're still talking like internet 1995 here to transact using digital currency. It would be manual, it would be bulky, it was very hard to track and very hard to account for. So, you know, kind of as we as we learned that, that's where we kind of built out our first accounting integration last year. So we built out our first QuickBooks integration where businesses can basically integrate their crypto transactions directly into QuickBooks. So we launched that fall of 2019, and then we saw a lot of our customers and users at the time were really actually using us more for kind of the invoicing and payment side of things. So that's where we kind of shifted our focus at the end of 2019 into beginning of 2020 into kind of creating that that payment application layer for businesses to be able to transact utilizing cryptocurrency and digital currency. And once we kind of, you know, started going down that path, that's when we saw a lot more 
adoption, a lot more use cases, a lot more businesses using our platform, et cetera. So we realized that, you know, businesses in this space really want to transact using digital currency and cryptocurrency. They just didn't have the tools to use it. So we're really that, that first tool out there for businesses to be able to, you know, send an invoice, keep that audit trail documentation invoice all the way through to the basically recording your crypto entry or recording your, your crypto transaction into your books. So we take care of that process. That's kind of what we're, like I said, what we're, what we're solving is we're that B2B solution for blockchain businesses. That's kind of where we are today and where we're headed. So I'm not sure if I should ask this or not, but I'm just I'm really curious. I mean, are there even other solutions out there for that or are you guys the only ones? There are other I, people ask who our competitors are. There's other solutions, right? So you have your traditional payment solutions, your TransferWise, your Veeam, Bill.com. We are, we're kind of a mix of that with a mix of some crypto accounting. So there's some crypto accounting solutions out there, Verity, Block, et cetera. Where we come into play is, is we're basically making it super simple for businesses to be able to transact using crypto. So they can input their traditional kind of crypto wallets onto our platform. And we help facilitate both crypto payments and crypto, if you want to say crypto invoices and, and crypto receipts. So we help facilitate that process for businesses that want to transact using crypto, but have the same kind of business tools, you know, invoicing, cash receipts, et cetera, available to them so that they can be able to add that kind of documentation to their accounting system in the back end. And we integrate those payments directly into a business's accounting system. So we kind of keep that trail intact for businesses to be able to operate properly using cryptocurrency. Okay. You got interested in cryptocurrency almost as a hobby, but then also professional interest, met the Mm co-founders, started this company Mm -hmm. from scratch, went to the accelerator program. Now you guys are a real business. <laughs> what continues to excite you about what you're doing? What What do you, you know, people say, what gets you up in the morning? But I mean, what do you continue to enjoy about what you do now? Yeah, so the crypto space is, is super interesting in that one day in crypto world is like three months in regular world. Things are moving at so fast, light speed in this space. It is insane how fast things are moving every single day in terms of not just businesses and applications being built. Uh, now we have this whole DeFi movement where people out there that, that are familiar with the crypto space have probably heard of Uniswap, which is basically an automated trading platform where you can trade cryptocurrency. It doesn't, it's not kind of a, a typical broker that takes orders and matches them up with, you know, takes buy orders, matches them up with sell orders. This is an automated trading platform that kind of uses the bonding curve to be able to basically say, okay, if you want to trade, you know, one Bitcoin for one Ethereum, here's the price at this point in time. And then brings in kind of different liquidity providers. This whole world of DeFi and crypto finance has exploded just in the last, like, three, six months. Um, and who knows where it's going 
you know, where it's going to be in the next three to six months. So things like DeFi, things like stable coins, which we haven't even talked about yet. And that's where actually this, I'd say this crypto adoption, digital currency adoption for businesses to be able to use cryptocurrency going forward is going to really take hold. You know, a lot of businesses don't want to transact in Bitcoin because of the volatility, right? The second you receive one Bitcoin, the price can drop $200 before you can even cash it out, right? So stable coins are actually basically digital cryptocurrency that's pegged one-to-one to a specific what we call fiat currency or uh, government-issued currency. So there's uh, a few stable coins out there that are pegged one-to-one to the U.S. dollar. So if somebody pays you in this stable coin uh, that's pegged one-to-one to the U.S. dollar, it won't move in price volatility. So if you get paid $1,000, your $1,000 before you, you know, you can either hold it in this stable coin or off-ramp it uh, to U.S. dollars, and it'll be worth $1,000. So you don't have to worry about any volatility aspect. Well, stable coins have gone crazy since like February of this year. Um, I want to say in volume in the last six or eight months. So stable coins have gone crazy. I think as people are starting to realize the true benefits of transacting on the blockchain and those benefits are speed, transparency, and low fees. So you can send, you know, a million dollars to from the United States to India. It can get sent and transacted and cleared within minutes. You can send a million dollars for 10 cents, pennies on the dollar, 100% transparent. You can view that transaction on the blockchain getting confirmed as it's being sent. So you're eliminating completely the middleman. You're eliminating the bank from dipping in and taking their fee. In this instance, if you're sending money internationally, multiple banks that are taking their fee. So blockchain payment rails are going to be the payment rails of the future. And, you know, I think the government sees this as they've been updating their regulatory guidance. They've been super fast in getting guidance. Well, <laughs> they weren't fast, but now they're starting to catch up in updating their guidance on cryptocurrency and digital currency. We know that the OCC just recently allowed banks to custody digital currency on their books. That's huge. You're going to see banks adopting very quickly you know, Bitcoin and other currencies and, and start offering digital currency products. And we actually know that back in the initial stimulus back in March or April that was issued when everybody got their $1,200 checks. So the government, uh, the first draft of that stimulus bill, the government actually was going to send everybody their $1,200 checks via a digital currency. They were going to issue everybody a digital, uh, a wallet address and give everybody their $1,200 via basically a USD digital currency because it was it's the quickest way to get everybody their money right away. Now, obviously, that didn't get passed in the bill, but the fact that that was in the first draft of the bill, I think, really shows how far along the government is or how close they are to really adopting this this digital asset, digital currency age, um, and probably launching, you know, that leads to kind of CBDCs or uh, centrally banked digital currencies you know, launching their own kind of government-regulated digital currency. We know China is doing that very shortly, and other countries are doing that as well. So this digital age is here. It's kind of like the Internet, right? Like the Internet started and, and companies started popping up, and we had, we had the bubble. But now it's, it's back on that, on that upward slope. I think as people really realize the benefits and these other applications get built out properly to where people can seamlessly integrate them or use them in their integrate them with their traditional systems or, you know, seamlessly kind of come off their traditional systems and onto these new systems, that's when you're going to see this mass adoption occur. 
So we're positioning ourselves to be you know, right there to ride this wave as it really occurs. I think once banks jump on, you're going to see a lot of these big institutional businesses really get involved. We just saw Square bought $50 million in Bitcoin. You're seeing other other companies really see the benefits of not just holding Bitcoin as an investment, but but you'll see businesses really see the benefits of transacting in cryptocurrency as well. So like I said, it's here. You know, a lot of people are like, when's it coming? I'm like, well, it's here. <laughs> it's already here. <laughs> it's just a matter of these businesses within the space building the right applications so that other, you know, businesses and other individuals can seamlessly and easily use and transact using digital currency. We could talk about this for hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's what I do every day. So I wanted to be able to make sure that people understand, like, this is definitely something that's going to affect accounting going forward. And I've gone on, on other speaking opportunities before and webinars before and, and said this, but to reiterate on your show, show too, you know, it's super important for accountants to be able to understand like where this is going in accounting and how this is going to affect uh, accounting and businesses and your accounting and auditing and tax going forward. And if you can get ahead of the game and get a good understanding of, okay, what cryptocurrency is, how to account for it, some of the tax rules around it, you know, how businesses may be using it, whether they're holding it as an asset or actually using it for kind of transacting, you know, along those the blockchain payment rails. If you can get a feel for how that's working, when your client then comes to you and says at the end of the year and says, I have all these transactions that I did uh, with Bitcoin and Ethereum and these stable coins, and they just like shove it onto you and you're just like, if you're like, oh my God, I've never even heard of blockchain, like what the heck do I do with this? You know, obviously that's that's a huge like red flick on it's gonna be like, Wow, okay, I need to go find somebody else. But if, if you're like, Okay, great, you're gonna be my first client, but I've been top of this, I kinda know some of the ins and outs, let's do this together. And and you can then start, you know, bringing in additional work because businesses are looking for accountants that understand and know blockchain and, and understand and know cryptocurrency and know specifically on the tax side, like how to basically treat it for tax purposes, how they can kind of tax tax plan or use tax strategy for gains and losses, et cetera. So if you're a tax accountant and you really get to understanding how crypto works um, and how you can provide some tax strategies for your clients that are using cryptocurrency, I mean, that is a huge value add, huge, huge, huge value add. And you're going to start bringing in business just from that. If you're an auditor and you're able to use some of the tools out there that are available to help audit companies that have digital currency on their books, that's huge. It's a value add and that's something where you can, you know, preach that or, or offer that as, hey, I can do your audit because I know how to audit cryptocurrency and I know how to get comfortable around the gap guidance around cryptocurrency, et cetera. But, but really where it's going to take off is, is being able to provide those consulting services kind of in the blockchain space. If you can provide specific consulting services, whether it's around being able to, to account for digital currency or just different accounting strategies around digital currency and cryptocurrency or being able to provide CPA assurance around specific kind of blockchain transactions, that kind of thing. I mean, there's a whole world of client services that are going to be opening up because of blockchain and crypto. And being ahead of that curve is just going to position you for 
to be able to reap the rewards that are going to come down the pipeline sooner rather than later. Beautiful. And thank you, because this is a career show. So I, I appreciate you bringing it back there. We we talk about a lot of, of different aspects of accounting, but ultimately we are trying to help people in their careers. So thank you. Thank you. That's a great way to, to wrap all that up. Absolutely. I do end every show with the same three questions and probably better get to those. This has been just fascinating, though. Thank you. The first question is usually the easiest. So... You know, in your career thus far, what's been your proudest moment? To be honest, my proudest moment is basically believing in myself by starting Gilded. Taking that leap from a secure kind of corporate accounting job to an unsecure, like, am I going to get paid three months from now type job because we might <laughs> go out of business is not the, like, easiest decision to make. A lot of kudos goes to my wife for supporting me through this process. She's been a a true champion and great support for me through this process. So I'd say the proudest moment, believing in myself and taking the leap to really get involved in this and believe that my instincts as to where this was going and believing that, you know, this is going to be the future or this is the future or this is of accounting or this is here now just believing that what we're doing is right and it's starting to get validated, you know, every day. That's a good one. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you're able to tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we we learn from these things. Many lessons out there that obviously have occurred and will, will occur in your career. One of the lessons I would just say is just be quiet and listen is probably the biggest lesson that I learned. It was kind of a culmination of just multiple times where, hey, by me really listening to what the client is telling me or by me really listening to what my audit partner is telling me, I was able to, you know, adapt to the scenario or provide the value that needed to be provided, you know, that the client or the partner was looking for at the time. So if you're building platform or you're creating a product or you're starting a business, and it's something that people don't want, you're not going to be successful. So you really need to listen to your your users and your customers because they're the ones that ultimately determine your success. That makes a lot of sense. We, we try to make so many things complicated in life, but really so much of it is right, very simple. Right, right. doesn't need to be. I love that. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? D-Y-O-R, which stands for do your own research. It's kind of a cliche in the crypto space, but especially in today's day and age with so many different media platforms, so many different platforms for people to kind of express their opinions and express their views and express truths or, or falsities. It's really important to fact check it's really important to understand where certain opinions may be coming from. It's really important to understand certain platforms, et cetera. So I tell people all the time, like, do your own research. I mean, the Internet is amazing. <laughs> uh, I think we all know that. But, like, I grew up in a time, like, I remember pre-Internet and what it was like. So the fact that you can ask your phone any question and get, any you know response you need within an instant is huge, but do your own research because what you see on Twitter, what you see 
out there on Instagram and, and other social media platforms, we all know is not, is not necessarily true. So make sure before you kind of start forming your own opinion and, and your own thoughts around a subject matter that you properly kind of do your own research and really understand that area first before kind of coming to a, a formal opinion or thought. That is great advice. And we're not going to get into this, okay, but I stay ahead in recording and it's ironic, it's super ironic that this podcast will be coming out around the time of election day, somewhere, somewhere in a week or two. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, we didn't plan that just for the audience. It's just sort of yeah, coincidental how that's happening. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Do your own research. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Joey, thank you very much. I We really could go on and on about cryptocurrency, but I, I've learned a lot during this episode, and I know our audience will have to. So, so thank you very much for spending the time with us. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again, Mark. Happy to be on. For those of you that have any questions or want to reach out to me, um, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Joey T. Ryan. You can find me on LinkedIn, Joey Ryan on LinkedIn, or, you know, on our Gilded, Gilded homepage. You'll see me there. So go ahead. Don't hesitate to reach out with any questions, comments, concerns, but any gripes, send those to Mark. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to ask. Go ahead and spell out the, the Gilded homepage uh, URL for us just so we have that. Yeah, so uh, if you want to check out our, our website, we're at www.gilded.finance. Um, and you can learn more about us and kind of what we're working on. And like I said, uh, happy to chat with you guys about any questions or comments you guys have. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, and I hope to catch up with you again some other time. Yep. Thanks again, Mark. Well, that was my interview with Joey Ryan of Gilded. And like I mentioned in the intro, I don't know about you, but I learned quite a bit in this episode. I haven't had many dealings in the cryptocurrency world or, or many interviews, rather, in that area. And, I, you know, this time I, I learned even more. I had never heard the term triple entry accounting, and I also wasn't familiar with stablecoin. So those two particular items were interesting to me, but there was a whole lot more that you mentioned as well that, that just really broadened my knowledge in the area. And then secondly, I don't know if you caught this, but some of our other guests have said this as well. Early in Joey's career, when Joey was deciding on a career, he ended up deciding on accounting based on what his dad had said. His dad recommended accounting because, quote, you can do pretty much anything with a degree in accounting. And that really has been a theme throughout almost every episode of our podcast series that, you know, when you start with a background in accounting, Really, it's it's like the whole world is open to you. Once you understand business and the, the language of business, which that's what accounting is, there's really practically nothing that you can't do having that background. It really is a, a very a very fruitful background to have, and I hope you pick that up. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this up for this week. This has been Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. As always, I'm Mark Goldman, your host, and we'll see you next week. There's more to come.